Hello, welcome to Reference Desk, a performing arts and culture podcast. I'm your host, Garth Grimble, and in each episode, I'll explore a piece of dance culture with references, popular, personal, and otherwise. I'll share a companion video link so y'all have a visual reference of what I'm talking about. Let's get into it. Hello, listeners. I'm very excited to share my conversation with Muisi Congo Malanga, Artistic Director of Fuadia Congo. I spoke with her in the fall about traditional Congolese dance, her company and future projects, and how dance informs her relationship with space. We had some Zoom connection issues, so there are moments of that warped reverb in a tunnel sound. Here is our interview. I'm here today with Muisi Congo Malanga to talk about your dance practice and your history with uh, Congolese dance and community building and all the work you do, and especially kind of talk about this new way that dance practitioners are engaging with public space amidst the pandemic. So uh, first of all, hello, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, I know this is this is a loaded question in these how we're living right now, but how are you? <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you for having me. That's probably not the best sound for uh, listening. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, so I guess to start, um, can you just share about your, your dance history, your dance background? Sure. Um, so my dance practice is uh, Congolese dance, traditional Congolese dance. And um, it very much is a, an inheritance. Um, my, my father came to uh, California in, I think, at the end of 1976. And uh, he met mom um, and a whole community of people in East Palo Alto. Um, and together they created uh, a group called Fuadi Congo, which means Congolese heritage. And so it was just really this very kind of magical coming together of Africans from the continent and people of African descent here in California. And it just kind of took off. It was like at that moment in time where people were very much, African-Americans were connecting back um, to their, to their, African origins and exploring languages and dance and and likewise Africans from the continent were you know kind of coming out of uh, colonial reign and there was independence and so there was just all this fervor around African identity wherever you found yourself in the diaspora and so you know here in the Bay Area where there's all this innovation and stuff I think that um that is very much a part of how Fuadia Congo came to be. And that's kind of been my school, my lifetime school, where I've studied um, traditional Central African dance. And, you know, myself, along with my siblings and other people's, people who are like my peers, um, have kind of been the folks carrying the legacy and continuing to share the culture. And you are now the artistic director of Fuadia Congo. Correct. Yes. It's a huge, I'm sure, yes, a huge yes, undertaking. Yes, I am. the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, it sounds like you took the reins um, 
after your father passed and so it's become like it's a, a family company yeah but yeah um well I, I think um there have been several cycles within the company but yes as ship is concerned I guess yeah. second generation yeah. um and you know the company I don't know maybe 500 members at this point that one one day we'll have to get an accurate count of all the people wow. who performed with Fua. you know not just the ones who stood on the back <laughs> but yeah it's um an amazing legacy to be a part of and I'm honored to be able to do what I can to move it forward. This is a very broad question, um, but what what is Congolese dance to you, or what what makes Congolese dance Congolese dance? Well, Congolese dance is I think it's a central part of of traditional Congolese culture. Um, I think that dance, rhythm, and the drum are very much central to. Um, every part of everyday life and also they serve a specific function um they encapsulate um you know um the the they're like capsules for history um they tell a story they help us hold on to you know ancient story and myth and um and then in other places they are integral to healing rituals they help us mark every um every critical point in the life cycle so birth um courtship uh the harvest you know for every kind of important life cycle event death the drum is present the dance is present song is present and so there are there are dances that um that are are dances and rhythms that are that play, are played at specific ritual times to mark whatever that life cycle event is and then of course dance for dance sake uh, but um a means to kind of knowing the people mm. uh, for people who haven't seen it before you know, what does it look like if you were to close your eyes? What would it look like? Um, it's really grounded um, I, uh, around isolation of uh, the hips, isolation of the torso, undulation, footwork, um, just down home groove soul that kind of comes from the belly as far as rhythm. And I think you can find traces of it. Like you can find traces of Congolese dance, you know, just about anywhere where you like feel the soul of movement, but especially in um, samba, rumba, you know, pop you can find traces of it there it's interesting um hearing you the kind of initial answer to that question talking about drumming music and dance and this how they're linked completely because when i'm in my research kind of pre to prep to talk to you i saw an interview with i believe your brother kiasi if uh, uh -huh. and then he there was a quote that he said drumming and dancing are codependent there can be no drumming without dancing it really got me thinking how 
kind of uh, like Western concert dance, we we kind of prioritize these few choreographers like Balanchine or Mark Morris or Isidore Duncan as being like inside the music when there's so many other dance practices from Africa and other continents and countries where it's they, they are completely enmeshed together the entire time um, or like they are codependent or have this... Um, right this duality together that that makes them kind of like one art form rather than dancing music but it's like one thing together and um and then I was like googling and trying to um do more research on Congolese dance and it was interesting like the the stuff that would come up was usually it would talk first about the music style and then like the dance that goes with it rather than being mm-hmm. like, this is a dance, but it was like always kind of music and dance together being like, like uh, what, what makes it what it is, if that makes sense. Uh, right. Always explain it as it's, it's, it's the Holy Trinity. So you have the dance, you have song and you have the drumming and all three of those things are like always constantly happening. And if you extract one element, you lose something. Yeah. They can each stand alone, but... Could you talk a little bit about the project you did, Congo Dance to Nairobi Blues? Uh, yeah, that project actually hasn't premiered yet. Oh, okay. Um, I saw the it, something about 2017 and 2019, so that's why I, was, I wasn't sure where it was in its life cycle. Yeah. Hashtag coronavirus. So oh. um, from the Creative Work Fund to engage in this... Um, community-based performance piece that tells the story of how Congolese dance uh, kind of came and flourished here in the Bay Area, and in particularly, in particular, the community of uh, East Palo Alto, which is also called Little Nairobi, and um, it um, it it has been kind of tremendous doing this listening process, hearing the stories of people who are actually there um, and who saw, like, the creation of Foie and and saw people uh, experience Congolese dance for the first time and, you know, kind of got swept up in the rapture of it. And um, and then to be able to introduce that to... Um, to young people who were unfamiliar with that history of their very own community and to create a work uh, from that that kind of captures all of that. Um, and, you know, it's just also just the par- the story of my parents coming together. I'm mm. um, at this very, very, like, um, magic time where these particular elements all had to come together in order for this kind of explosion of culture to, to take place. Mm. So it's, it's been a really, really exciting journey and um, being able to do that with uh, the support of a local nonprofit, One East Palo Alto, has been really exciting and kind of the heart of um, um, what I would like to always be doing with my, with my arts practice just working in community, you know, giving, you know, giving people access and um, telling story, listening to stories, sharing that story, and then um, giving people the opportunity to kind of express it through movement. I can't wait till hopefully one day (laughs) that 
is fully produced and to, to witness it. And that also the sounds like the concept of this uh, project you're working on is a nice segue into this idea of uh, how we conceive of public space and um, how like dance's relationship to public space. And um, I was wondering in your dance practice and dance research um, with Congolese dance, is there a, a different way when you're dancing or when you're participating that, that changes public space or that changes the way you interact with space? Well, I, I think that Congolese dance um, is naturally meant to take place in public spaces. So when it's on the concert stage, when it's inside of the studio, uh, that's more foreign than it is when it's actually like, let's say in an open park uh, with people who can gather and participate. That's actually kind of like, it, that is its natural element. So anytime we have the opportunity to put it back in that environment, um, the energy, the spirit that it harnesses um, grows even bigger. Um, some of the things I notice, uh, I think that um, whenever it's in, in a public space, uh, it usually begins to, uh, it, it usually forms a circle. And I think that's, you know, could be because of the placement of the music. Uh, and also I think that traditionally most dance occurs in that kind of circle formation. Mm -hmm. But if there's a crowd of people who begin to come to look, or even if it's the people participating, I think the natural shape is just a circle. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Which is, I think... Uh, Those are some of the things that come to mind. Yeah, as a shape, so it sounds kind of like you're saying just um, be, being that the the natural um, space or place that these dances take place is in public, and so because of that, they're, they're kind of a, like call to the community to like foster it, to bring it together, to, you know, bring people together because it's not something you're necessarily you know buying a ticket for and waiting in line to enter a building and being in a specific seat it's movable it's moving the audience can move the per performers are all moving and, and changing where they are in space potentially the whole time yeah and i think it just till recently um we did kind of this very it was very experimental as far as the offering was just because things are tentative right now um but we did a, about two or three classes for families uh that were offered um and we had live music so they played um live african music with guitar and trap set and all that and um and so you just find um, that it just brought people out. It brought people together. And I think something around um, dance happening in an open space makes everybody feel like they can actually engage in it as well. So mm -hmm. if they're just walking by and they're hearing this music and, you know, they're seeing people move, 
um, as opposed to if it was inside of a concert hall where it might be less appropriate for somebody out of their seat and jump on stage and start doing a bunch of backflips or whatever they decided to do when it's in an open space. It's like an open invitation for anybody to, you know, at least have the curiosity or the idea of participating. Um, where, where, you know, those other structures kind of create these boundaries that let people know that, hey, no, you're not the dancer, you're just the watcher, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like the the group is, choreography kind of being the, like, uh, the playing field of when uh, it's all happening rather than being, like, a bunch of different solos or, um, you know, all, like, one person the whole time. Yeah, I would think so, and I just think that is accurate, I'd say. And um, I think it's just because African um, society is just very communal and collective. And so I think an indication of that is that, yeah, the dances are very much, you know, mostly group coaching, you know, dance that you are um, then kind of translating to the concert stage, you know, that changes. Yeah. Um, and then also I'd say, um, you know, different people find different ways to, I can only speak for myself as someone who presents a traditional African dance and does my best to, you know, be a, a translator that onto the concert stage, um, and telling stories that are kind of aligned, uh, or rooted in tradition. But then when you, kind of jump out of that framework, you'll find a lot more, um, you'll find a lot more um, solo choreography. Mm -hmm. Like once you move into like Afro-contemporary movement, oh, okay. you know, that might be the, you know, that might be the rule and not the exception. Right. And then also, you know, um, or what is a solo? Like yeah. for me in the context of African, in, in, in the context that I know it, a solo can happen when you're not the only one on stage. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, so, but yeah, I would definitely say that um, a group choreography is usually, um, is usually how you will see African, traditional African dance presented um, with kind of some spurts of solos, depending on what story you're telling. I guess just saying the group, setting uh or just thinking of that group choreography of and you talking about the kind of like communal uh cultural practices informing communal and group dances um uh how is i mean all dance is affected right now but um how do you see that within like traditional african dances um being affected now with the pandemic and just how all of our relationship to communal living has changed um like in, in your own uh creative practice are are you it's trying to make that happen so <laughs> no I, I mean i know that some people have been able to do it successfully um i just the technology hasn't quite lent itself to um, uh, still trying to work 
how do you translate or transfer the experience, the energy for an art form that it really is, um, it's so much around the gathering, the ritual of gathering together and doing it together. You know, maybe if it was a different form and maybe if you, um, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't already have this kind of group grouping of dance and drum and song that didn't already be accessible. Um, so then it becomes, okay, if you're going to do it via Zoom, then that means you're probably going to do it with recorded music. And so then you're already, you know, losing a very kind of important part of that experience. And then now, not only am I going to do it with recorded music, but I'm also going to be doing it in isolation. So there's no one to look at to my left or my right. And I'm listening to kind of like really awesome, but like flat music because it's not live. So trying to figure out how to recreate um, the fullness of what would be this experience of gathering together with live drumming, with live human people that are dancing together, um, and Trent, I mean, I know we're all trying to do the best we can, but I haven't figured out a way to, to either incorporate technology so that it soaks up some of the void. Um, and you know, maybe it's lights or figuring out some other elements to pull in to make it, um, you know, make it rich and meaningful and kind of potent enough. So I, I think I've, I've taught maybe one or two Zoom classes, but it was one where we were having more of a conversation, demonstration, feedback, so that it could at least be rich in that way. So just stay tuned. We're on Facebook. Fuadia Congo is our name. Uh, we're also on Instagram. And um, looking forward to just continuing to innovate in the midst of a super challenging time and figuring out uh, ways to share the culture and share the traditions of South Africa um, in an authentic way um, and, you know, and just kind of navigating how we all are doing our best to navigate and live. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Sounds sounds good. And I, I wish you the best and most luck possible in, in all the creative endeavors. It was always a miracle when anything got produced in the best of times. And now it's like a crazy <laughs> uber miracle, like, like giant miracle to like, get anything done. So. God bless all of the artists out there, all of the dancers who are out there continuing to make make it happen right now. So true. So true. We, we know it's for the love. You know it's for the passion if you're still creating now. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the program and letting me interview you and your time. And um, I, I can't wait to continue seeing what you make. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking with you today and continued success with you on your podcast. I'll be tuning in. That concludes this week's episode of Reverence Desk. The theme music is composed by Heather Stockton. 
You can find more information at Reference Desk Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>